Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Podcast, Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Welcome, everyone. Father John. Father Nathan, Quarantine Edition, Part 4. Part 4, is that right? Yeah, here we are. Wow, we're coming up on a month here, I think, of quarantine life in uh, Denver, Colorado. What do they call it? Uh, shelter down? Is that the way shelter it's kind of making you feel? Keep calm and carry on kind of thing? That's right. We, we could use a little bit more of that. Yep, I think so. It's been, uh, been a good few weeks, though, I would say, and... Uh, we are, uh, you know, we recorded, and we had a number with Mike there, and then we kept kind of inserting because we wanted to keep kind of talking about things. But, uh, you know, we're both living in community. Uh, you got three priests with you. Yep. And uh, how are things going over there at the Schloss? Fine. Yeah, we've made it through uh, season four of The Office, so nice. we are we are working our way through. Nice. We're in the uh, last few uh, episodes of Band of Brothers. Uh, nice. Which is dangerous because there's one kind of. I told you about that one. I know it's episode nine. Yeah. So we'll uh, fast forward and everybody. As soon as they show the barn, you gotta. The barn. Okay. Have everybody kind of close their eyes and start screaming. Yeah. I mean, I would just. I would. I'd watch it beforehand and just. <laughs> yeah, I think Ian's trigger answer. finger. Yeah, it's uh. So I'm I'm still here at uh, St. Joseph's Parish House. Seminary life is largely unchanged. Um, oh. We have uh, um, continued classes online, thanks to Microsoft Teams, which is like Zoom, basically. Uh-huh. So I actually teach theological anthropology in this room here with two of the guys, huh. and then ecclesiology in the other room with four of the guys, and then the rest of them are in other houses. So our, our seminary is a different parish house system, and it, it's actually worked quite well for this quarantined season. And uh, But we kind of expedited the uh, semester for the guys because they're here. So this is a very unprecedented thing to have Triduum together in seminary. Usually guys go home uh, to their diocese, and, and though we're sad that guys can't be home with their families on Sunday, it's, it's kind of cool to be together for Holy Week. They're going to get a Mary Nepple peach pie. I don't think they're going to be too upset. Mary Nepple peach pie. I, you didn't go for the banana cream that Kyle Tannehill recommended. She, your mom does not make banana cream. No. And, she doesn't, and she's she would she would freak out about that, right. and she would just she would just end up substituting something else, anyways. Well, as a good Minnesotan, she would do something different. Oh, here we go. Text back. Can't get fresh fresh peaches now. You have to wait until August. Yeah, that's my right. favorite too. How about an apple and cherry, and maybe a cream pie? Whoa, I know. Well, there you go, banana cream. She's working with what she has, I guess. No tell veggies. Her, tell and her fruits. banana cream. Banana cream. That was the. Uh, the I request. was thinking that that's normally a fresh peach pie. So. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's good. I uh, yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what we get. But it, we got this guy Matt Christians here from Valier, Montana. And I tell you what, having a son, having a friend who's who's the uh, son of a wholesale meat distributor, having a seminarian whose dad is the town butcher in Valier, Montana. Yeah, these are things that uh, these are these are people you want to keep close. Yeah, keep them close. Matt Christians' dad shipped us just arrived today a prime rib from Valier. It's sitting in my parents' uh, fridge right now. Wow. And uh, we're going to have that for the feast on uh, Easter Sunday, which is going to be great. And uh, Matt is just an all-around excellent cook. My dad sent me a text and said the uh, prime rib arrived, and he said, you know you're from a small town in Montana when the return address is P.O. Box 8, Valier, Montana. And Matt said, that's the butcher shop's P.O. Box. His family's house is P.O. Box 3. Wow. 
Valier, Montana, I think, has about 300 people. And his brother last summer married, the, so the, one of the sons of the town butcher married the daughter who owns the town liquor store. And I think the church holds about 150. Uh-huh. And there's about 500 people at the wedding. So Worth it. Yeah, uh, it's just amazing. I'm imagining like the, uh, what's that celebration tree in Hobbiton, you know, kind of everybody. Mm-hmm. This is good life, man. Small town. It sounds amazing. Small town living, so. But it has so been. You're, you're being pampered while you're here. Pampered, yes. But they also, do, they have they have their food made for them by the seminary. But then, when the seminary doesn't cook, it's Matt Christians, and he's an excellent cook. He's an excellent cook. So, but it's all not just you know spoiled and eating. You know, it is communi- yes. community life. So community living. I have gotten thoroughly throttled in Monopoly. I don't know what this game is. I don't know what the strategy is, but I obviously haven't figured it out. And I got some tips from my friend here, Father Nathan, who's always quick yep. to give advice yep. uh, on how to start bartering better. But these guys, Kyle Tannehill's singing Wide, uh, Wide Open Spaces. Is that the song? And I was like, okay, new quarantine rule, no Dixie Chicks until at least the Paschal Tide. Sure. All right. So... These guys are singing songs, just whipping your, me, and I'm just like, oh my god! Dixie what would you chicks. say is your downfall in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, Monopoly? I think I go big too fast. Go for the hotels. You try and build everything up, and uh, if you don't, if people don't land on, and then you get pistol whipped. Wow! It seems like you get stuck in utilities. Is always just a waste. Why would you even buy that? Well, it seems like you should buy. No, not utilities. Not utilities. What about railroads? I do like the railroads. Why? Because they're bartering chips. Right. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. I think that St. Charles Place, is that's like the hot ticket. Everybody seems to land on that. I had I had a good thing going a couple nights ago, but I just, the other thing about Monopoly is we play by the actual rules, which goes a lot faster. And I also cut it off. I'm like, we're playing until this time and then it's over. Well, if you don't finish the game, then you didn't really play. Uh, you think so? Yeah. It's Monopoly. Not, oh, you have more money than me. Well, at a certain point, though, doesn't it just become, I That's don't know. like risk. You just, you just pause the game and just say, all right, we're, we're going to set this aside. We'll play it later. Look at you. You have nothing. All you have is Ukraine, and Ukraine is weak. Remember that Seinfeld Ukraine episode? Ukraine is not weak. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, so anyway, so I maybe try a new game. Pandemic has been a great board game, though, of, uh, of the quarantine time. Um, yeah, I mean, I only have, I only have, oh, I love Pandemic, but uh, at my house, we don't really have, we got one board game player, and so it's just me and Eusterman, and so we play some cribbage. Well, I, I would like to teach these guys cribbage. I don't have a lot of card players here. I always prefer cards over board games. Right. Contrary to our good friends, um... Father Matt Book and company. We got a lot of board game players in the uh, companions, and then we got a lot of us who play board games. Right. Get beat, right? There's a distinction. True. There's board gamers, and then there's people who play board games, and I think we're probably the latter. Yeah, I I would say anytime I go to my brother's house, like it's evident that uh, I am the worst player yeah. in all of them. And now, like, Sophie, who is, I mean, Margaret's too young to even, like, understand a lot of these things, but, like, Sophie was raking them over the coals the other day, and, like, I'm like, you are in, like, fifth grade. Is that surprising, though? That girl, she's cutthroat. She is cutthroat. Yeah, there are board game the nug the nug board game people though are board game. I mean, they're it's serious. Like, and if and there are people who have been kind of scandalized when I'm like, I'm not really into board game. They're like, wait, I don't know if we can be friends. 
Buckingham's told me this recently. Sarah Bloom's fiance is one of these guys, like super board game guy. Even Ian Wintering, my guy here, uh, who I've been commenting too much on his uh, his dietary decisions in the evenings and talking about it on podcasts. He's like, people in Phoenix quit telling him I'm eating Oreos for dinner. I'm like, quit eating Oreos for dinner, you know. Um, but he makes board games. Wow, I respect that. You know, agreed. You get kind of the game theory and the whole bit like that. So. Well, is there anything you uh, notice in this room right now that you want to talk about? You want to draw people's attention to in the podcast? Maybe s- close to me. The beer? Maybe on my face. Oh, yeah. yeah well, Come on, man. Well, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought you were just going to bring it up. Oh, I don't man. know why you did it. So there was a mustache competition. Oh, for Matchbuff High School, they had they did their gala, which was supposed to be last Saturday. They just did it all online, so we had a big kind of Zoom call thing. But I, blonde mustaches, we never get the respect. We never get the respect. Even Hulk Hogan, the guy, makes it great, and I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. It's but tough. You, I mean, you have to understand. You're hidden behind the. I know. You're hidden behind the thing. Now I can see it. Now you can see it. I would not have waited two hours to comment on the ride. Freaking Lejoie didn't even notice. For two hours. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> blind and deaf. So I was like, you got to be. And we're actually talking about the mustache competition for like an hour. And he's just like, oh, that's crazy. And then he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, come on. How long are you going to keep it? I think it's going away tomorrow. I think you need to, I think you need to shave it one more time for tomorrow's breakfast or something. Well, I, so I have the handlebar. Is that what you call it? The Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Fu Manchu. But, but you shorten that and eh, just you become just the creeper. Yeah. Right? At what point? Blonde mustaches are kind of de facto creepy. True. So I just, I don't know, like, not much. I don't have a lot of options at you this point. You could do that or you could just shave half. <laughs> just shave half for breakfast tomorrow. Yeah. See if anybody notices. I don't think they'll notice. I, th- I think when I did it, the guys didn't know what to say. Like, is he serious? Is this like a right. new style? So nobody said anything. True. So, and everybody's introverted, so, you know, I should, like, do a poll on group me. Do you like this? Think about it for four days. Nobody, no rush, you know, kind of introvert style. It's very funny. Living with introverts is interesting. How many extroverts do you have in this house? One. Who is it? Kevin Pankowski. Okay, The yeah. deacon. That's it. It's, yeah. like, absolute intro- land of introverts. Interesting. I respect them, though, and here's why. Because they're not usually not as dramatic as extroverts. Well, Dra- drama, comparatively. Looking at other houses and hearing about how the quarantine's going, and I think part of it is extroverts, just, they just don't do well without social interaction. Oh, introverts you know? are living the dream They're loving right now. this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is just paradise. Like I said, I mean, I, ha- I live with three introverts, and right. they're just like Happy doing as fine. Yeah, one guy's... One guy's playing uh, DC Universe. The other guy's uh, watching videos on how to get over his head injury, and then the other guy is playing text-based uh, text-based role-player game. Something. Like yeah, that. it's just great. It's like we can pretend like we don't have to have relationships, and uh, you know, I don't know. There's something good about this. It simplifies a lot of life. Yeah. Right. I have I have cooked a lot of stuff from my freezer. So it's been great because I love it. It's kind of like Iron Chef for me. It's like, what do we have? What can I make? Yesterday, I made, um, we had a pork shoulder, a smoked pork shoulder. Shout out Mark Cunnings. Mark and uh, Tony, uh, Noah, and 
uh, Samantha. It's Isaac. Um, Anyways, they made a pork shoulder for us in January. I cut that thing in half immediately because I said, we're not going to eat this whole thing. Cut it in half. We ate half. I left it. And I was like, I'm going to cook this one day. So then last yesterday, we had some apples starting to go bad. So I did, um, I did uh, what's it called? Uh, baked apples. Baked apples and onions with maple syrup. And then cooked the, the pork shoulder over that. It was incredible. I bet it was. Yeah, you're doing you're you're te- you're taking to the next level over there. We're how's your how's your raisin supply? Oh, uh, we they were out of raisins. They were out of raisins, so we had to just go with the box of raisins. But I mean, as we know, one of them <laughs> enjoys raisins a lot. So uh, Usterman found two big bags, and he bought them both. Okay, so yeah. Right yeah. now we're set. Any podcast listeners in the northwestern part of uh, the metropolis of Denver, and if you see a raisins, uh, you know. If they're if you see a little Hansel and, Gre- yeah. Hansel and Gretel trail of raisins to my house, like don't worry, it's yeah. just you know to get them to come home. Yeah. So anywho, well, it's good to be together. We uh, we have not uh, podcasted. We, we haven't seen each other. We haven't recorded together since the whole thing hit. Yeah. So uh, this is kind of slipping in last last minute here. It's Wednesday of Holy Week, and this is going to come out tomorrow evening. So sorry for a little delay. We're going to slip it in, mm-hmm. but we just wanted to talk about. Uh, Triduum, especially the Eucharist, in light of the fact that the majority of our listeners, almost complete majority, um, have been deprived of the Eucharist over the last almost month in a kind of historically unprecedented moment in the Church. And what we're seeing is there's a lot of people who are really upset about it, obviously, and some of it's understandable frustration, but then there's other kind of movements. you got Janet Smith doing an online, trying to get people... uh, to you know, sign a petition so that bishops bring back the Eucharist. There's some other kind of frustrated, of course, academics, because this is what we do. We overthink everything and critique everything. Um, but I think what we wanted to do tonight was um, offer a couple of points for those of you who listen uh, into as we're going into the Triduum, especially around the Eucharist. And I had a specific thing that triggered my attention um, from a class that uh, I'm, I'm working uh, in ecclesiology with my guys. It's uh, on Mary and the Church in the Redemption. So it's all about locating Mary, locating the Church in Mary on Good Friday at the foot of the cross and what that means. And so I'd like to kind of tie that into the Mass a little bit. I don't know what you had in mind, though. You're the one that said that this is what we were doing. So Oh, is that okay? I'm, a, I'm along for the ride. I'm well, just I know, co-pilot. I know. I, I can see behind those eyes, there's a thousand monkeys. They got the typewriters out, and they're, they're cranking. They're cranking. Well, I mean, I did think it was interesting that you said we were going to talk about the Eucharist and Holy Thursday and the inability of the people to receive, and then now all of a sudden you drop in the middle of the podcast, oh, by the way, we're going to do Mary in the Church. Well, <laughs> what if we did both? I'm like, I'm like okay, okay, there we go. Global, how long have you been with me and still you, don't, old, still you don't know me? There's the old medieval Mariology. 12th century Mariology. I have to, I have to lure you in in different ways. That's I can't right. say, come over on, th- on Wednesday night and we'll talk about Mary. You're like, oh, I think I'm busy. I got season five of The Office. I got, I got raisins to eat. We're still in season four. Season four, yeah. Still in season four. So, well, no, I mean, I, 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 I said to John, uh, Father John, before we started the podcast, that I'm preaching tomorrow. I'm preaching tomorrow, and some of these 
themes are things that I want to talk about. Right. So I will disclose some of them, but I have specifically asked that the podcast come out after the homily, after after the the triduum has already begun, because I don't want to I don't want it to seem like I do the podcast. You guys listen to the podcast, and then some of you go to my parish, and then you're like, "What's the deal?" Right. We get recycled ham for, for uh, you know, our homily. which is what they're going to get because you're doing it right now. No, but I mean, like, it'll seem like I'm just sort of piggybacking on what you what you've brought up, and it's like, no. Well, let's see, well, let's see where this goes. How does that sound? Go, you're the one running. The, last time you put me in, in on, on point for the for the podcast that you wanted to do. Listen. So this time you're running the show. Like I said, you get socially engineered and you act surprised after ten Why years. Why can't of this. I just be an introvert? If I was an introvert, I wouldn't have to deal with most of this stuff. That is true. You wouldn't be sitting here right now. True. You wouldn't I have would a podcast. It. I would zoom it. You no, would I'd definitely zoom, zoom it. it. I would zoom it, and I wouldn't even show you my face. <laughs> I'd be watching the office while while we had this, you know, Laura. podcast. All right. So uh, the book I'm holding in my hand is called "To the Heart of the Mystery of Redemption." by Hans Urs von Balthasar and Adrian von Speyer. And as I'm accustomed to do, I sent a section of this to the companions, which none of them will likely read, uh, but it's the thought that counts, right? The thought that counts. It's the John. thought that counts. Uh, von Balthasar, in the early 1960s, gave several conferences to young priests in Paris. And he, what I love about this, it's like, 1964, so the Second Vatican Council is still going on. Things are in total upheaval. People want to know about ecumenism. They want to know about liturgical change and these different things. And what does he talk about? He talks about the redemptive incarnation of the God-man, the Mm -hmm. central tenant upon which everything hinges. And I love that. And I love the way that he ties, he he speaks about that. So it's a great book to buy. It's, It's nice and short. It's just a couple of collections. And then it's got a few excerpts from Adrian von Speyer's uh, works at the end of it, but highly recommended reading. Um, so the first part is on Christ the Redeemer, and then the second part is on Mary and the Church in the Redemption, and that's what cued my interest to speak about this tonight. All right, so I'm going to start there, and then we'll kind of just kind of jive back and forth into uh, what you're thinking. We'll jive Im- a little. Improv. We'll jive um, a little. But there's a particular part of this. So he, when he's speaking about the participation of Mary in the sacrifice of the cross, he begins by saying, uh, we have the custom, as Catholics, of speaking of the sacrifice of the Mass, which has an internal relationship to the sacrifice of the cross, as we know. Good Catholics would say, yep, of course, as the representation of the sacrifice of the cross. So it's not a separate sacrifice, it is the sacrifice. That's why we call the Mass the sacrifice. But you know, some of this language has been lost. I'd like to name this podcast The Sacrifice of the Mass with the hope that people will use that language, like sure. casually. Instead of saying, we got to go to church, and then we're going to go over uh, you know, to Agni afterwards. Get burritos. We got to go to church, and it's like, I understand what you're saying. We have to go to Mass. We got to go to Mass. And I said that on the podcast recently. I got to say Mass, and then you so piously corrected me. Pious. Um, the sacrifice of the Mass. We are going to a sacrifice, the sacrifice, which is a representation of Jesus' sacrifice, and it's a real sacrifice. So the sacrifice of the Mass, and I thought it'd be clever to name this podcast the sacrifice of the Mass, not just because we're talking about the Mass, the Eucharist, as sacrifice, but because oh, it's a sacrifice, sacrifice 
that people are making right now. Wow. The sacrifice of the mask. Come on, that's kind of clever. Puns are considered the highest form of humor, according to certain nerds. Right. And kind of the ancient world as well. I hate to admit that. Total losers. The ancient world did not have Norm MacDonald. So the... um, Can I tell a story about the sacrifice of the mask? Please. So I was in confession once uh, at University of Illinois with... uh, See, look at this jiving. We're already... This is so natural. We're already jiving. (laughs) Here comes the jive. Um, so, uh, I'm in confession at University of Illinois and, uh, the priest, uh, said, uh, for your penance, I want you to meditate on the sacrifice of the mass. And I said, the mass isn't a sacrifice. It's a, it's a communal meal. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. You said mass. that? Yes. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, Never mind. for your penance, I want you to, when you go to mass, count the number of times we say the words celebration and communal meal versus sacrificial language sacrifice sacrifice offering oblation you know all those things and then and then he went and said mass and it was just a regular daily mass it wasn't like anything big and my mind was blown because i had always thought growing up in the 80s that mass is all about banners and you know rejoicing together and you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know what we I thought. We gather together to as the Lord's good. He chastens <laughs> and hastens his will to make it known. Um, yeah, so then all of a sudden I was like, it's a sacrifice. And I had to, I had to begin kind of shifting my mindset away from, um, why is it that I don't get a lot, of, out of, a lot out of mass when I'm just saying it as, this is sort of Jesus's, you know, party right and uh yeah it really changed me and i think that the beneath the the loss of a sense of the mass is sacrifice there's a lot of things like that part of it is there there is an accent an accent and an aspect of a communal meal or celebration but um there's a deeper christological sense here around sacrifice because it was something that had to be accomplished. I mean, it was fitting that Christ died in this way. He didn't have to. He could have redeemed the world in a different way. But he needed, like we needed, a sacrifice. And I think that's why Good Friday is tricky for people, because we don't, we've lost a sense of sin, right? We see injustice in the world, and we think about injustice. I mean, I've had people say, please pray for this, pray for this. This person has coronavirus. It's so unjust. I can't believe it. There, there's truth in that. There's, there's injustice, yes. right? But there's moral injustice in sin. That's what it is. Yeah. And that, if you, if you think about the thousands and thousands of years of human existence, and all of a sudden you start to kind of add up every single sin, every failure, every rejection. I mean, we, just, we live in this culture where it's just like sin is just, that's just an antiquated word that has nothing to do with our reality. You right. see, now you're paying tribute to middle children because we are the ones that count every injustice, <laughs> every transgression. Right. And accounted for the second sin. Not the first, but the second. Wow. Which was fratricide, middle child. So so I think that the uh, we're not going to really... was born first. We're, you want to take a bet? Uh, he's not really a middle child because there, no, there was no... Seth... Hand. There was no, there wasn't, Seth wasn't born All right, yet. so we'll just say the second son killed the, the first son. son. We'll just say that. Well, you know, just so you know, Jacob. 
Yeah. You know, just in case you were wondering. Okay, yeah. So there's a lot of these, you know, pairings that we could go with. Yeah. Know? Okay. So, um, but Moving I, I, on. I think that the uh, the sense of sin Continue is intimately intimately connected to uh, the, the need for sacrifice. And the more that we obviously desire and feel that sense of that this was this this was needed, this was meaningful, this was important, the more that we're going to actually understand when we come back to the Eucharist, because that's the question, what's going to change for you when you're listening to this podcast? What is going to be different? Did you just did you just hit the pause button on Catholic Life for a month, watched a couple of, uh, you know, masses, live streams, live yeah. streams which is good. I, I My sister felt really bad because she's like, I, you said that, and then I asked you to do a live stream for our family on Easter, and I was like, don't feel bad about that. There, there's nothing wrong with the live stream. If just if it supplants the sacramental order, then this whole kind of digital thing is problematic. Um, just to qualify that, you know, it's not bad in itself. It's it's actually good. But what's going to be different? What's going to be different when we go back to the Eucharist in hopefully a couple weeks here? That's yeah. that's the that's the real question. And I think uh, this was the line that jumped out at me um, when he said uh, he says this. This is von Balthasar. I believe that the expression, sacrifice of the Mass, will remain obscure so long as we have not encountered that veiled woman at the foot of the cross who is the mother of the crucified and at the same time the icon of the church. So the the expression, the sacrifice of the Mass, will remain obscure. It's like distant. It's too too abstract. Uh, So long as we have not encountered that veiled woman at the foot of the cross who is the mother of the crucified and at the same time the icon of the church. She is present at the self-gift of the Son, not able to intervene, but she is far from passive. A superhuman action is asked of her. Consent to the sacrifice of this man, who is the Son of God, but also her own Son. She would prefer a thousand times over to be tortured in his place. I think every mother listening to this would say that. If we said you have to watch and consent your child to to suffer, or you could suffer a thousand times, they would choose that. I'd rather be tortured a thousand times in his place. Actively, she must let herself be stripped. She must repeat her initial yes, her fiat, up to the end, but this end was virtually included in the first impulse. So what von Balthasar is doing here is he's saying that if we want to understand sacrifice of Christ, we have to understand what, how is that sacrifice received? Because really that's the question for us, is when we go back to Mass in a few weeks, the hope is that not only do we desire the sacrifice of Christ, but that we learn how to receive and consent for that sacrifice to play out in our lives. And if you want to do that, you have to look to Mary, the created, feminine, human response that received entirely the sacrifice of cross at the moment. Jesus doesn't just die as the superhero in this kind of tragic thing by himself. He's not, he's not an ubermensch. He's not Socrates who dies by himself but he dies in this intimate relationship with the bride, which is the church, and Mary as the person of the bride, standing as the new Eve. We've talked about this ad nauseum, right? If Christ is the new Adam, Mary and the church are the new Eve. And so there's a bridal, a nuptial interplay that happens in the moment of sacrifice. Sacrifice is itself a nuptial reality, right? What you're living in your marriage expresses something of the supra- natural, and the uh, nuptial significance of the sacrifice of Christ. And that ties directly into 
how we understand sacrifice, which we'll get to in a second. But why, uh, why would you say that sacrifice has a nuptial quality? Because it's an interplay between the bride and the bridegroom. But that's not, I mean... Who is he dying? You mean on the cross? On the cross. But not normally. No, no, no. I, well, the, the, I would say the archetypal relationship between Christ the bridegroom and, and the church bride, Mary, as the personalization of the church, um, that is, that's the archetype upon which nuptiality is. Right. That's but, the archetypal marriage. But sacrificial language didn't normally have a nuptial language. Exactly. Yeah. But I think it would have a covenantal language. Right. So we've now made covenantal language into a, a personal, now nuptial language. So maybe you can say that. So think of it like this. We think of sacrifice as kind of like, it, it's this kind of weird, kind of old school thing. Yeah, I guess it had to happen. It doesn't really have anything to do with my life now, living my, you know, kind of in this postmodern technocracy that we live in, um, where everybody's just, the cops were giving out uh, tickets today down at uh, Confluence Park. So you can't just live your sweet life, get your mobile Starbucks and, you know. Really? The $1,000 tickets? Yeah, I saw them. They were all down there on bikes. Yeah. So, um, but... Luckily, uh, I'm always on essential business. That's right. Good thing. I was in my biking gear today, and I was going to say, I'm heading back for confessions. Was this pineapples and kittens? No, I haven't bought that yet. Oh. 500 miles. 500 miles. Okay, you're still on the 500. Because well, yeah. you were trying to talk down. Well, yeah, I just ended up buying a new pair of bibs. It's fine. Well, those are important. Yes, go on. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to just live our sweet, technological, sacrifice. secular life, and uh-huh. sacrifice is anything. But what if we think of sacrifice as renunciation? Think of it under that lens, okay? So Mary's participation in the sacrifice of Christ which is ultimately a sac- uh, uh, his inner union with the Father, right? It's not just about the bride, but it's on behalf of the bride, but it's, it's with the Father. It's in his, in his divinity, Christ is actually expressing something. He, this is the work of the Trinity, the redemption. Um, and so I think it's, it's interesting to think of it as renunciation, and this is where von Balthasar goes with it. When I speak of sacrifice today as formally, I call to mind above all a renunciation, whether of an object that is dear to me, that object can be a person to whom I am attached, of whom I must let go for some reason, or something of myself. I sacrifice my time to someone. And when we speak of the sacrifice of the cross, we mean that Christ renounces his life for his brothers, for his sheep, according to St. John, and more profoundly that he renounces the intimacy with the Father and thereby with himself, he who has, has his existence, turned towards the Father, towards the bosom of the Father. And uh, I think that is, we're getting into the interiority of sacrifice instead of this kind of archaic, old school, maybe even like a pagan image that we have of like, you got to kill animals, right? You got to have blood. That's how it began. Right? Yeah. And um, exactly, but but something of the interiority here, of the rationale behind it, of of what, what is humanly happening. But what you're getting is the dawning of unbloodied sacrifice. That's what we're encountering on the cross because the sacrifice was already given. Jesus had already renounced himself, had already offered himself. I I was reading um, Fulton Sheen in preparation for Good Friday. Uh, He has a very short book entitled uh, Seven Last Words, and he says that on the cross, Jesus makes 
three similar to renunciations. He, he gives, he makes three offerings. The first is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So he offers forgiveness. Second is, today you will be with me in paradise. He offers reconciliation. And the third is, behold your mother. So he offers uh, three particular gifts, all sacred to him, because he is the source of all forgiveness. He's the source of all reconciliation. And in Mary, she becomes the one through whom we receive his gift, because at that point, now it's I thirst. Right now, it's now it's the offering of himself. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's good. Is that going to be in your homily tomorrow? No, I'm no. Not preaching on Good Friday. Oh, Holy okay. Thursday. Holy Thursday. Yeah, I gave you a little tidbit there. Yeah, a little tidbit. A little tidbit. No, but you're not going to get any more. Not going that. Uh, you got to watch tomorrow nice or Friday. Tip. No, Thursday. Thursday. I'm preaching Thursday. So I think that that that, that would be the key central thing to kind of hone in on uh, tonight and to reflect on. Do I experience and do I think of sacrifice as a kind of renunciation? It, it's, a, it's a more existential way of thinking of it. It is an objective thing, sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice, but he did something subjectively here. He really did suffer darkness. He became sin, as Paul talks about us. He, he, he has to choose to renounce these things, like those, those three different steps. And Mary is the one who her consent receives those renunciations as self-gift. You can see where I'm going here. When you, I can't. You can't. Okay. You can't even see my mustache. It's right? true. That is veiled. Where we're going here, bring it back into the experience of the Catholic, the 2020. You have to renounce the experience of going to Mass, sure. right? Yeah. You can be frustrated. I don't get to have my sacraments. I don't get to be with my friends. I don't get to do my experience, sit in my sing, spot in the pew. Sing my songs. Sing my songs. Well, what if the sacrifice, what if the very reason you go to Mass on Sundays is to enter into the sacrifice of the cross, which is itself the perfect renunciation of any human being, which in fact becomes the expiation, which becomes the thing that, that justifies all of humanity. What if that is the case? Then all of a sudden, this whole sacrificing, giving up our experience of the sacraments ha- is meaning, right? We don't need to just sign, sign petitions against the bishops yeah. because priests are lazy or because yeah. priests are... I mean, I've seen some, some really strong things Hiding here. in their rectories. Hiding in their rectories. You know, today, uh, today was the first. Uh, I called Lutheran Hospital... And they are denying priests the opportunity. Yeah, this thing's been weird. Bring this it in a little closer. There you go. Oh, my gosh. I'm just right up on top of those things. They're denying priests. They're denying priests the opportunity to go to the hospital to anoint patients. Hmm. You can't do any of it. So I know that people are upset that they can't go to Mass. But I'm like, I can't see the sick. Like, that's pretty difficult. Right. So, I mean, there is an offering that has to be made. And you actually have to entrust that this sacrifice will be pleasing to God and our obedience at this time will actually be pleasing to God and not just more sacraments. Right. Give us what we want. Right. So I think that the, uh, there's all kinds of things that are breaking down right now uh, in terms of the, your microphone is on. I think you just need to speak closer. I am right up on top of this Get up thing. <laughs> I am swallowing it. So I, uh, my, my thought is that there is, there's a temptation towards 
religious consumerism because we live in a consumeristic society. We all are tempted to that, right? Mm-hmm. To, to think of things, it's like get the sacramental Pez dispensers out and priests need to do, produce more and more and more and more and more sacraments, right? And it's like, okay, those are, those are absolutely essential and beautiful in themselves, but what if this opportunity, what if this absence, what if this pause is a moment to just appeal back to the deeper logic of sacraments, which is rooted in this sacrifice, which is a renunciation that Christ makes, that Mary receives, and which becomes, like you said, the logic of the Christian life. Sacrifice matters. Renunciation matters. This ties into everything. Like, what logically flows out of this, you want to talk about contraception, you want to talk about natural planning, massive renunciation that people are that are people are being invited to and if you have a sense of that's meaningful sure because and this is going off on another tangent i won't go there careful but if the archetypal relationship between christ the bridegroom and mary church as the uh, the bride is a fruitfulness that's rooted not in sexuality but in renunciation this kind of spiritual self-gift if that is the case then the spiritual fruitfulness of your families, of your marriages, of our priesthood lies in this kind of renunciation that ties directly into the logic of the cross. Yeah, I would I would say on a supernatural level that is true, on a natural level, like what what they are able to demonstrate is a complementarity. On the natural level, they're able to produce fruit because of their natural complementarity. So and I agree with Super, you. Yeah. I think that the, the, the happiest couples are the ones who actually value the discipline of NFP so that they can say, it's not a free-for-all. I don't get it whenever I want. I actually have to engage in renunciation and dialogue. And Mary receives. She doesn't demand. She receives the gift. I mean, Fulton Sheen, again, Fulton Sheen says um, that underneath the cross... Mary receives the seed of Jesus's blood um, and receives it in her fertile receptivity and the church is born. Right. So, and Mary's whole life is a school of self-effacement, right? So of learning renunciation because Mary as a created woman, though given the, the singular grace of the Immaculate Conception, which preserved her from the effects of original sin. Though that was the case, she had to grow in faith, which means that why does Jesus seem to rebuff her, push her away, be like, oh my God, my mom's here. This is so embarrassing, right? She won't even make me a peach pie. She doesn't even love me. She's making a cream pie, right? Why does Jesus seem to do that? You start at the wedding feast of Cana and you just go all the way through. What if he's preparing her? What if he's moving her fiat at the incarnation to be a crucified, silent, fiat of letting it be, right. which is the perfect bridal act, which is a distinctively yes. feminine, receptive yes. act. Yes. What if that is the there whole logic of Mary's life? And then what if we turn our Protestant friends who say, this doesn't make sense. Why do you guys worship Mary so much? She's not that big of a deal. And that's, it's like, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's moving her away from just that natural mother-son relationship, and he's teaching her, how do you stand as the bride and actually receive the most horrific thing that you will ever witness, yeah. which is my suffering and death. Yeah. That is her renunciation. Mary's renunciation is receiving the renunciation as self-gift of the Son. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what actually, makes it generative. Actually receiving his offering. Right. Not just like saying, but that's not what I want. Right. I want something different. It's like, no. So I, I, I offer this and I keep talking about Mary and I got 16 new book ideas in my brain that, uh, uh, don't worry, you won't have to read them because they're never going to come to be. But I just, I sit and think about this. Only 13 stuff. of them will come to be. Right. That's probably true. You'll write the preface of number 14. How does that sound? Profacio. Yeah. So, it'll begin, haven't we heard all this before? <laughs> well, when you live in my little world of Mariology, and you really think that the answer to the church is not more digital activism, it's not more sacraments, but it's about getting back to the Marian heart of the church, sure. then you start to see everything with this different lens, which is to say, and I am so guilty of this, the majority, so much of my prayer is wasted on self-absorption, right? And just self-evaluation. I mean, most people don't pray. Those of us who do pray spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves. And instead, it's Which like is not prayer. Mary's, Mary's whole purpose at the cross, it's not like she's the power CrossFit woman who just, I'm going to add to that. And I'm going to be even better now because I'm a modern woman. It's yeah. like, no, it's not that. That's not it. It's not, I can do whatever they do. I can do whatever the man does. It's, that's just, that's just the fruit of the, the false feminism of the sexual revolution. Mary's genius is to teach us that as creation, our fundamental task is to let God be and let him do right. things. Yeah. Let his sacrifice penetrate my heart, my life, my job, my family. If there's one thing I can say to people, when you come back to the sacraments, learn to renounce your desire to control your parish, Right? to be your Eucharistic minister, and damn it, I'm going to stand at that spot because that's what I've been doing for 40 years. It's like, we got to move beyond this. Right. We got to get back to the Marian heart of the church and actually have a Marian posture and stand before as bride and receive the sacrifice of Christ on Sunday. That's, that's a different approach. Mm. And that that's, hits in the face of the activism that we, just, we live in as a church in the United States. And I think that I, I, I just, I see Mary as the, as the response because that's the the key to getting us receptive again well, and really receiving Christ. One of the things that's really interesting is right now on, on YouTube, you can see how long people tune in to your live stream. Do you know what the average time is for people to watch your live stream? Your live stream or live stream? Li a live stream mass. How long do you think people pay attention for? 40 minutes. 13. 13 minutes. The nor the average click time in terms of like wa watching it consecutively is around 13 minutes. Yeah. So, I think it's actually a really good discipline right now. And I'm not I'm actually not a fan of you have to watch live stream masses. I I hope everybody understands that. You are in no way obliged to watch a live stream mass for your Sunday obligation. You are only asked by the commandment to honor the Sabbath in some way. But uh, you are not required, obliged, to watch this live stream mass. But it's interesting because, like, how long are people tuning in for? Not that long. But what's beautiful is when people are able to find something, even from the worst homily or the worst music, and they're able to, to hone in on, I was able to receive this. Instead of it being like, this didn't fit my taste, wasn't my kind of music, wasn't my kind of preaching, wasn't my kind of church, wasn't my kind of architecture, wasn't my kind of priest. It's like, no, I really think 
that even the greatest saints were able to appropriate something because they were able to make their offering and then receive something in return instead of, wow, I like that because it, it pleased me. Right. That's different. Right. Yeah, that's, that's it. It's that posture of receptivity, which is a kind of humility. Um, I'm reading uh, a lot of Ratzinger these days, and he had a line that really shocked me um, where he said, this is in 1981, he said this, and he said, um, he was talking about Genesis and how we're made for worship. And he said, the humility of faith has disappeared in the church and in the world, and it's been replaced with the slavery of activity. And I think that's what you get. Whether it's secular, just activity, 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 activity. And I was on Strava today, riding my bike, activity, right? Um, it's not, not bad, but we, if we live for activity, if we live for doing, and we lose the primacy of being and receptivity of God's work, it's, the faith is never going to take, it's never going to deepen in us. And I tell you what, it's not going to compel our children. And that starts with priests. And, and that is, that's the thing, is we can hammer all day about, you know, um, people this, people that, blah, blah, blah. But if priests, because priests are not living this, I don't think people understand it. And, and I think that the priest has to understand that he is standing at the cross with, as Christ, and he's representing the sacrifice in the Eucharist. But first, he's bride in his baptism. And he has to be a man of absolute receptivity. He can't just be a man who just does, right? And now he's going to become the Ubermensch and just do millions of sacraments instead of thousands of sacraments. And it's like, this is just madness. And we still want that. And we got to, we, the priest's got to change our culture and we got to start forming people and witnessing to the, the Marian heart of the church again. And I, I, I think that's, that's a massive task and it's, it's a life project and we're at it. And I got 13 books coming on this. And, uh, Stay number, tuned. Number 14 will be Goebbels' pre, uh, preface. So. I'll be ready. That's it for me. That was it. That was it. Okay. All right. I think the key things I wanted to say were sacrifice as renunciation and Mary at the heart of all of that. Hmm. As usual, you have this perplexed look on your face. You know? Oh, no, I'm just still processing. I'm usually a you know, couple, couple yards behind. Today, um, I went riding with uh, Father Daniel Chuchi and Father J- Joseph Lejoie. Do you know how much time I spent... Riding with those guys? Well, I don't. Like less than five minutes. Yeah, that's not going on a ride together. They were just they were just zooming, and like I just couldn't. I was like dogging it today or whatever. But I just found myself in my own little world because we were just right riding through the hill country of Niwot and yeah. you know Longmont. It was beautiful. Yeah, and uh, I was just thinking, man, it's upon us. Like, I come to the same point every single year where I'm like, no matter what I did, no matter what, like, what I gave up or what, you know, sacrifices I made, like, in less than 24 hours, Jesus will be in the upper room. And I didn't do that. I didn't create that. It's something totally received. And then the next day, it's Jesus goes to the cross. And I didn't, I didn't comp. Uh, conquer Lent and unlock the code, which meant that I get to fight the last bad guy with Jesus's help, and he just does it. And then he dies, and then uh, there's no way for me to bring him back, and then Easter happens, and it's total gift. 
And I would just say, like, that's that's the the fact of grace is grace is a gift that is received. It's not one. It's not I've accomplished these things, therefore God owes me payment. Um, and I think the church is is relying more on grace in this time than we did before because it was like, no, I deserve this because I went to mass. That thing that that person said, they got coronavirus. How unjust. Okay. Like, what did we do in order to prevent ourselves from never getting sick? Like, how is that? And I understand. Like, sickness is an evil. Death is an evil. Sin is an evil. You want to hear your little, you know, precursor to my Easter homily? The resurrection is a total gift. We didn't deserve it. And the cross is a total gift, and we didn't deserve it. And Jesus gives us all these things because we need it. What's the vaccine? Jesus. What's the antidote? Jesus. Are we going to get over this thing? No, it could kill the entire freaking world. Guess what? God is still in control. Right. He's still in control. We're not in control. Stock market's out of control. Baseball's out of control. Trevor Williams isn't even getting a paycheck right now. Things are going crazy. But you know what? God's in control. God's in control. And you know who who had a nice uh, tweet on that recently? Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, he did. That was awesome. Father Greg Peterson sent us that. Another. Um, he just basically said, everybody's freaking out about, we got to get this vaccine, we got to get healthy. And he's just like, we need Jesus. Hulk Hogan. It's the mustache. The way Kathy Lee needed Regis, that's the way I need Jesus. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I, I look forward to the Triduum more than Christmas. Christmas to me is nice. It's an enjoyable day. It, it's a great buildup to the season. Nothing compares to watching the events of salvation play out. And the problem is, many of you are going to be watching it through a screen. And I would just say, if you find that difficult, go back to the scriptures, make your own liturgy in your heart, and then you'll return back to Mass. It's going to happen. I know it's going to seem like a long ways away. But as I told somebody the other day, when you received your last Eucharist, it didn't have an expiration date on it. Right. Jesus didn't say, oh, man... I only gave him enough grace for one week. He knew what he was doing. And I know it's tough right now because there's a lot of people who have not had the Eucharist for going on, what, four weeks? And that's troubling. And it's, it, it, it's a void in their life, but fasting makes for feasting. So when Mass comes back, hopefully it's not just, okay, we're back to normal. Hopefully, like, I think, I really do, I think there's going to be a lot of people weeping. It'll be like the fulfillment of that psalm, whenever it's like, when, when the Lord delivered Zion from bondage, we were like men dreaming. Like, then was our mouth full of laughter, and our lips there were songs. Because I think people are going to want to come back to give praise to God, and not just to the government, that finally we can go back. Right. So. I, yeah. Good points. I would just add as a final one, and then we'll wrap it up here. Final point. Um, you are being asked to sacrifice the Mass right now. 
But when you reflect on the Mass as a sacrifice, as a renunciation that Christ undertakes in love for you, uh, in reparation for your sins, realize that the, the great power that lies even in your renunciation, choose the, be like Mary, let it be. You're choosing the renunciation of not having the Triduum, of not receiving the Eucharist this Easter. That's a massive sacrifice to make. Choose it by letting it be. Receive what God is asking of you by letting it be. Uh, it has meaning, but you can choose that, right? You don't just have to say, "Well, we're just not kind of we're not Catholic now for a couple more weeks, and then we'll be Catholic again." It's like, no, this is a, this is an opportunity even to be so deep and, and and steeped in faith by looking at Mary's model of choosing what we do not want, letting be what we do not understand, which is Christ crucified, and it's playing out in a very mysterious and un- unprecedented way right, uh, right now. So, there we go. There's the pep talk before the triduum. Pep talk. A few shout outs. Nice job. Oh, thank you. I uh, was able to weasel out of, uh, of offering any of my Holy Thursday homily. Yeah, so we can just publish it at a normal time tomorrow? Yeah. Well, we'll just do it whatever. You can, because I didn't do anything. <laughs> All right, so um, uh, we got an email. Uh, May 6, 2019. Dear Father Nathan Goebel, you most likely don't remember me, but you would remember my family and our farm. For Lent this year, I decided to listen to Catholic podcasts. I picked four and added many episodes of each. I sadly didn't get to Catholic stuff you should know until after Easter. After listening to the first episode, I heard you say your name, and I thought I said, I thought, I know a Nathan Goebel who became a priest. I texted my dad, Ron, and asked where you ended up after being ordained, and he said, Colorado. I told him you were a part of a podcast. And he said, all that from Little Red Riding Hood. So this email is from uh, Ken Evans from Bettendorf, Iowa, a much better city than Dubuque. Um, <laughs> always against Always me. the Dubuqueers. <laughs> um, uh, so Ken Evans was the little son of Ron Evans, who uh, owned the Christmas tree farm that I worked on. First day of my job, like, I get hired... I'm out there. I'm in my work clothes or whatever. The the superiors ride around in a gator, and they had a, a walkie-talkie. So I get on that thing. I go, uh, this is uh, Little Red Riding Hood, Big Bad Wolf. Come in. And I was just making a joke for all the guys that I was working with. And then all of a sudden, over the over the the radio. <laughs> on your first day you're doing this? First day, it goes, uh, this is the Big Bad Wolf, Little Red. You better get off this channel. And then from then on, my nickname was Little Red. Little Red. So that yeah, is that, so yeah, Ron Evans' son, Ken Evans, listens to this uh, to this uh, podcast. Little so, Red. Anyways, just when I think I know everything about you, says, you worked at a Christmas tree farm. Yeah, well, it's my first job. Nice. That's awesome. So shout out to the Evans family. Very good. You got any others? I do. We got to make sure we give this one a shout out. This was important. Okay. This was sent to our archdiocesan email. So like our website has a, you know, suggestions or comments box. So we've gotten a few emails right. to our superiors saying right. that we drink and we're disobedient and other true things. Um, but uh, she says, I just wanted to share a positive note about uh, the fathers and their Catholic Stuff You Joe podcast. I started listening to their show while I was driving to a vocation awareness program in Dallas two summers ago. 
I was instantly drawn into their banter, friendship, and the heart of it all. In the heart of it all, their love for God, the church, their vocation, community, and the people they serve. Many times we forget that priests and religious are human, and these priests are a weekly reminder of how Jesus calls his sons of different personalities. Pache Bene, Katie Logan. So to Katie Logan, Katie Logan, we got this email sent mm-hmm. to us by our vicar general who said, I know that you guys received a little you know, negative feedback. Here's a positive one. So thank you. Thank you, Katie. Appreciate that a lot. PDBD. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Believe that. Um, you got any more? I just want to shout out Hulk Hogan. And I want to thank him for the inspiration both to Christian conversion and sweeter blonde mustaches in 2021 that's true we will can we make your mustache the uh the sacrifice of the stash the sacrifice of the stash that is what it is yeah that's a, that was the only shout outs i had all right well thanks for coming over tonight buddy happy getting easter, late everyone happy easter happy blessed triduum blessed and triduum. uh we'll, we'll see you we'll see you in 2024 when we <laughs> finally rambled out for public catholicstuffpodcast at gmail.com thanks for listening Blessed Trudeau, happy Easter, and we will see you next week.